It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. As always, the number to call, 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter, of course, at OpinionLine96. And our Facebook, Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message and mark it for the attention of the Opinion Line. So from the 24 hours since yesterday, we've had all sorts of confusing messages as to what exactly is going to happen to try to prevent a repeat of what happened last Saturday night in the town. Now, some publicans very annoyed yesterday and making very angry statements on Facebook and other such platforms that the pubs were getting blamed for something they didn't do. And I made it very clear yesterday, more than once, it wasn't just pub bought drink that was out there Saturday night. Far from it. There was a lot of off-license stuff. There's none of the pubs selling slabs of cans. There's none of the pubs selling naggins. There's none of the pubs selling uh, the half bottles of wine and bringing them out. None of that. But the pubs didn't help with what we said yesterday. However, we've got a bylaw in Cork, and I think we're going to ask the guy at the headquarters at Anglesey Street this morning whether or not they intend to enforce that bylaw going forward because it's been there since 1997 I think that you can't you actually are not supposed to be able to walk down Patrick Street with a can of beer in your hand that's an offence under local bylaws here so why were so many people allowed to gather in the streets last Saturday night at national level, though, they were looking into it in the government yesterday. First of all, Hall was making comments uh, to the effect of, oh, I'll stop all takeaway sales. Uh, Michael Healy Ray nearly had a small seizure down in Kerry. He said, this is, this is Ireland, it's not Moscow. Then he kind of tossed it over to Helen McEntee and said, here, Mrs., you look at that. And she seems to have tossed the ball back into Stephen Donnelly's court. Now, to say, here, here, you do what you can with that. But last night it came up at the briefing, the, the Chief Medical Officer's um, regular briefing. Now, last evening it was Ronan Glynn asking the questions and it came up at his briefing what could be done about what happened over the weekend. What did he think about the scenes on the streets over the weekend? While it is disheartening uh, not to get distracted by that and to remember that there is a, a very significant silent majority out there who are doing the right things, who are keeping themselves and their families safe and ultimately keeping each and every one of us in our communities safe. 
Just because we've seen scenes like we did on the streets on Saturday night does not mean that the answer to that is to open up pubs. Uh, the answer to that is to appeal to people to protect themselves and others, not to go in uh, to crowded environments, to do what we've been asking for months and months, which is to protect themselves. Yeah, because the very publicans who were roaring and bawling about, oh, this had nothing to do with us, this wasn't us, they're the ones saying, well, if you open the pubs, then you have a safe, controlled environment. That's their argument. It's always been their argument. Whether it stands up in your mind, I know not. But let's look at what might happen Politically, let's go to Adam Higgins, a political correspondent of the Irish Sun. Morning, Adam. Good morning, PJ. They've spent the last 24 hours trying to figure out what to do. What are they going to do? This has been a fascinating one over the past uh, day or so. So it all started with the Taoiseach's comments that uh, something needed to be done to clamp down on this street drinking and takeaway points. And he said that they'd look at the issue of takeaway points. Now, originally, the cabinet were thinking of some sort of a ban on pubs serving takeaway points. Then the issues were raised with that because all publicans, uh, as is part of their trade, have a license for off to sell off-license drinks. So they have a similar uh, license that entitles them same sort of sales as an off-license. So it would be difficult to ban them selling takeaway points. So then the, the government moved, started to move towards fining people for drinking outside. And as you rightly pointed out in, in your introduction there, this has only really been happening in cities such as Galway, Dublin and Cork, which has made the news over the past few months. And all of those cities already have bylaws which make it illegal to drink alcohol outside. So these laws are already there. And people can already be fined for them. But now it looks like the government are thinking of introducing smaller fines for people who are gathering groups to drink outside. So I think the the belief is that this will make it easier, these laws will make it easier for Gardaí to break up crowds. Um, I'd say, I'd imagine it's a lot to do with the public awareness about it, that if they pass these laws, hopefully next weekend we won't see this because broadly people want to comply with the laws. And if there was nothing there... If, if this wasn't being pushed before, then it, then it will be pushed next weekend, I'd imagine. You would wonder, though, Adam, why it's necessary to pass any kind of a new law, because as you quite correctly point out, Dublin, Cork and Galway all have individual bylaws. Why not merely have the Minister for Justice ask the Garda Commissioner to ensure that Garda on the street enforce the bylaws? That's a very good point, and it'll be fascinating to see now, because no doubt that will be raised either in the Dáil today, but most definitely at the Cabinet briefing uh, or the Cabinet meeting later on. So it'll be very interesting to see what either Justice Minister Helen McEntee has to say about enforcing the bylaws on alcohol and why this has ended up being punted into the Health Minister's garden for, for him to deal with. See, there's, to, to be fair to the pubs, and people were coming down very hard on the pubs yesterday. And, you know, they, 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 they don't come out of this without a certain amount of egg on their face or beer down their short, whichever you want to look at that. But it wasn't all pub-bought drink that was out there last Saturday night. Far from it, in fact. No, you're right. And many people have already made this point that, I mean, if we start the pubs from selling takeaway points or takeaway cocktails or whatever it may be, that next weekend we may see similar gatherings, but people just sitting around with cans of beer instead and, and what difference the only difference that makes is that a couple of more thousand people are out of work because the take having the takeaway points is no doubt bringing in a 
one, a delivery man for the home service points, delivery points, and then to a barman to go in and pour them and make the drinks. So, I mean, that'll be more people out of work on the back of this. And will it really deal with the issue of people gathering outside? I mean, it's been a long eight months or so. People are going to meet up outside in any way. This is a, it's against the, the guidelines already. So I think it's we're going to see something alongside along the lines of enforcement today mm. from the government. Is there a sense, Adam, politically that they're losing the dressing room and are struggling to get it back? I think uh, several times throughout the pandemic there, there has been questions about the government um, losing maybe public confidence in some of their reactions to things. I mean, you'll see yesterday, it seemed very much like a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, we've seen this similar problem of people drinking in the same streets in, in both Cork and Dublin throughout the pandemic, and there was never really, there was public anger, there was condemnation from the government ministers, but there was never really like, okay, we're going to ban it. And this kind of knee-jerk reaction seemed to spark a lot of outrage yesterday, and people questioning why current laws can't be enforced and why we have to go addressing new laws and, and, and our, our, is the government you know, creating public policy on the back of social media outrage, which we all know can be fickle. The other thing about the pubs and keeping them from selling points out the, out the window or out the door is it wasn't an issue in the first lockdown. So the, 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 the precedent is there. We could return those restrictions, you would think, at the stroke of a pen. Yeah, of course. And another thing to point out is that the weather has also made a big difference. I mean, last time in the lockdown, it was a lot easier for people to meet outside and, and have a drink because uh, the weather allowed it. Now, it's is it? I know it happened at the weekend, but is it happening to as much an extent as it did during the summer? Because, I mean, I imagine a lot of people are reluctant to stand outside on a Saturday night freezing with no toilet near them just to enjoy a beer. You'd wonder your need for a drink if, if, if that's the condition in which you want to go drinking. Adam, thanks very much. What do you think will happen today, finally? I think we'll get some sort of a new fine, maybe, for uh, for people street drinking. And then I think we'll have a big enforcement rollout next weekend where you'll see pictures in the papers and scenes on TV of Gardy going into, into crowds and, and, and breaking them up and maybe issuing a couple of fines. And we'll get a big show and dance about this to try and prevent people from thinking the weekend after next, oh, well, I'll go into town for a point because maybe they won't because they'll be told to go home. OK. All right, Adam, thanks very much. Uh, keep in touch with you on that one. That's Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. There is a bylaw in place. I'm blue in the face. I said this yesterday. There's a bylaw in place in Cork since the late 1990s. So there is no need for new law here. Similar applies, I think, in Dublin. Similar applies in Galway. I'm not too sure about places like Killarney or Waterford or Limerick or, or, or Sligo or West you know, Mullingar. Anyway, anywhere people might gather, I, I'm not too sure. But I know that here in Cork, we have a bylaw. We've had it in place since 1997. And there's no evidence that it was enforced last Saturday night. So we might just put in a query to Anglesey Street Garda Station to the office of the assistant commissioner in there to know, um, well, first of all, why didn't you impose the bylaw on Saturday night and do as you're entitled to under it, i.e. seize the drink? And B, do you intend to do that this weekend? And if not, why not? 1850-715-996. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now.
Take the 10 minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Quartz 96FM. Reminder to you, we'll do another round of the 10K toy giveaway between 11 and 12 today. In and around the half 11 mark. We'll do another round of it. You'll hear your cue to call, your text to WhatsApp in. We'll call someone, ask them a question, and they qualify for the draw with Lorraine this evening. That's happening on the show between 11 and 12 today. I'll warn you again. Worry ye not. Worry ye not. On WhatsApp, people are simply not doing the right things to protect themselves and others from the virus. Some people are moaning about lockdown, then bending the rules, and they're making it harder. When we need, we need a tougher punishment for lawbreakers. On the spot fines if people drink in the street. No takeaway drink for pubs and close the off licenses at 5pm. As well as a fine, the drink should be confiscated. We're sick of carrying those that are breaking the law. Well, the drink can be confiscated under existing bylaws. Without any new law, the drink can actually be confiscated. There are on the spot fines under the bylaw if there's drinking in the streets. Not too sure how the off-licence would handle being shut down at 5 o'clock. But they did it in the north. They did it in the north. They shut them down at 8 o'clock. You could do it for a couple of weeks. The, peop- the fear that people would have, and it's a justified fear, the fear that people would have is you'd get all puritanical, then you wouldn't open them up again. That would be the worry. But it could be considered. And people are not doing enough for everybody else. Yeah. Kate says, I think it's much better to have it out in the open than driven underground. The restaurants were the best situation, really. And then on street drinking, does the bylaw outlaw all street drinking? Uh, I.e. the restauranteurs and the pubs serving on the pedestrianised streets. Maybe be careful what we wish for. No, no, no. Under the local bylaws, as I know them, there would be exceptions for that. So when the restaurants opened into Princess Street, Clancy's and the mall opened out into Princess Street there. It was brilliant. That was okay. That wasn't covered under any bylaws because effectively it was an extension of the pub. It was an extension of the license out into the... You're okay with that. And all that thing was covered. All that was... That was that was tickety-boo. That was fine. It's when you go off, off reservation like that is when it becomes street drinking. 1850-715-996. We'll stay across it and if we get any inkling from Cabinet, then... Uh, or what they might do, we'll bring it to you. Jerry says, hi PJ, there's more laws in place for this sort of thing. It's ridiculous to introduce more. That's right. What you need is Gardy to enforce the law. You have public order offences, you have the bylaw you mentioned, you have the breach of the peace, you have public nuisance, you have underage drinking. If there was any, you ha- if there was any asbos that can be slapped on people, they'll prevent the same people doing it again. Yep, we, the law's there, you don't need new law. Why the cabinet are going to be sitting around chewing the cud on new law? We have law. Just enforce what's already there, which is a very, very, very solid and strong point. I wonder how that girl is, by the way. I heard about her injuries yesterday. The girl that was attacked uh, on Saturday night in the midst of it all. 
apparently she got a really horrible slash wound to her face. I hope she's okay. I really do. 1850-715-996. It's been a wee while since we spoke on the show with Vera Toomey. Vera was in the newspaper yesterday uh, after... I did, well, we didn't know this, I guess. None of us knew. But the drugs, the cannabis drugs, cannabis-based drugs that she gets for Ava, she's been getting them now for a while. She's got a license, as have about 20 or 30 other families, I think, around the country. So... After a long battle, which we covered on the show many, many times, Vera Toomey now has a license to get medicinal cannabis from Holland for Ava. She's written a book about it, very successful story. What we might not have known was that over the last couple of months, that has been delivered to her because of the pandemic. But outside of that time, they've had to go and get it themselves. So when Ava's meds run low, they make arrangements, they fly to Holland, they get a train and a bus to the pharmacy, the only pharmacy they're able to get it from, they collect the meds and they come back home by bus and tram and plane all in one day. And they've been doing that for a couple of years now, but miraculously that stopped when the pandemic hit because obviously travel was an issue and they've been getting it delivered which sounds like simplicity itself. But now they've heard that, well, once the travel restrictions are good to go, once they're gone, once they're lifted, you'll have to go back to flying and train and all that. And as you can imagine, she's nonplussed, confused and maybe a bit annoyed about it. So we had a little catch up, me and Vera, on Zoom. Vera, I suppose most importantly, before we get into anything, how, how is herself doing these days? She's she's very good. Um, she had um, she had a difficult few weeks in the past couple of weeks. Actually, a couple of calls and bits and pieces that knocked her a bit. All right, but this this time of year is difficult. How are the seizures? Uh, they're under control. They're good. I mean, like we're maintaining the sort of around the ninety five percent seizure. I'd say seizure freedom. So. Um, that's really, really good. Would she get more Vera at a time when she wasn't well otherwise, would she? Exactly. You'd be concerned at that time always with temperatures and just being a bit worn out or run down, you know. But um, the the medical cannabis kind of seems to get us through that, though, you know, yeah. to a degree that we never had before. So it's, it's great. Yeah. Was she cocooning or were you cocooning with her in the very early stage of this? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, we we still are, you know, as as much as possible. But for Ava, the school is very very important. Um, it's you know, or even children like her, um, you can't really explain to them why they're not at school. Yeah. And when she wasn't at school, she she sort of starts to go into herself a bit, you know, um. So the interaction with other students and the teachers love her in there. So um, we feel very, very confident about them. Well, it's good that they're, they're few and far between at least these days. Now, you've not had to travel to Holland since, since April, since all these restrictions came into place. That's been a big relief, obviously. How often would you normally have to go? We were, since we returned to Ireland in 
December of 17, we were traveling every 12 weeks um, from Cork to the Netherlands to collect the medication. And, you know, we had to apply for the licenses and, and, and do all the paperwork. And that was a continuous um, like hamster wheel that we were on regarding collecting the medication. And we were told that um, that was the way it was. And is, the, is it that the terms of the license, Vera, mean that you have to physically go yourself? Is that it? Exactly. That's what we were told, that we had to present ourselves at the pharmacy in Den Haag in the in the Netherlands to collect the prescription. So obviously when COVID came, we were in an awful state really because like you're talking about getting on a plane, going over to Holland, to Schiphol, which is an international hub, taking trains, taking trams, meeting a lot of strangers and uh it, it 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 looked like a nightmare. It looked really, 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 really dangerous. So that was very frightening. And how did it come about that you didn't have to do that? Who's who made that decision? Well, I I I tried very hard to contact um, you know, the the, the usual suspects, the the political people, and so forth. And uh, I wasn't making great progress, so. I put the story out on social media. Um, again, just the situation that we were in. And thankfully, um, it was actually Simon Coveney that stepped in and took a call from me and sort of arranged that the, the medication would be delivered. I think at the time, he was working on getting a lot of people back from Australia and different places. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of included in that group of people then to get sorted. So they have been arranging delivery of the medication to our home since around the April time. And who delivers it? DHL, if you can believe it. Uh, it's delivered by DHL. And um, then a, a driver, uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not certain because, you know, I, I haven't asked him directly, Um and I didn't get that information from the department either, but I guess it's a, a, a van or some so forth arranged by the department and they dropped it down to our home. So the collection that you had to make personally up to April is now done and sorted and brought to your door by DHL, thanks to the intervention of Simon Coveney. That's right, that's right. Um, and I must say that, I mean, we're extremely grateful to have that, I suppose it just goes to show that things can be done when there's a will to do them, <laughs> you know. Describe it before, I'll get to that in a minute, but describe for me what a typical trip was actually like. Yeah, um, it it would have meant that, you know, we're, we're out and have a look, so it would be, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes or whatever to get into Cork. So we were kind of up around... Yeah, I suppose you'd be up around four o'clock in the morning and then get ready and get out the door, drive into the airport, sit and wait, check in for your flight. The flight to, to Amsterdam um, was at, I think it's like 6.30. So you're into, you're into Schiphol at around 10 to 9. Then once in Schiphol, you've got to take a train 
from the airport down to the Hague and another tram to the um to the pharmacy. Uh, you'd be getting to the pharmacy around 10 o'clock um, yeah. collect your medication. And then, excuse me, unfortunately, because of the timings of the flights back to Cork, we had to wait until 8 o'clock that night right. to get a flight back to Cork and you're arriving back in Habulig maybe around half 11, quarter to 12 or that kind of way. It's a bit of a trick. Oh, it's, it was, it was so, it's, like you know, now that it's being delivered, it it's just so unnecessary. And how much did all that cost, Vera? Every time? Well, yeah, this is this is the thing. I mean, our family are very fortunate that the medication is being reimbursed for us, and the flights were being reimbursed as well. Oh, okay. So, um, but the thing is, it's my understanding that not everybody's um on the same page in that regard. That some people are still fighting to get their um, medication reimbursed and indeed the flights also. But the thing was, I mean, there's about 40 people getting prescribed medical cannabis and indeed there's just been another lady messaged me today to say that she's got a license. So that's another that's another one added to the list. Hmm. Um, so at least half, if not more, of all those people's flights were being refunded. So economically, you would think it makes logical sense that it should be delivered. Mm. And not to forget as well, you're talking about patients who have, you know, extraordinary needs. So mm. you shouldn't be in a position where you have to arrange childcare and, leave, you know, leave the home and, and go abroad to collect medication. And, you know, your kids are wondering where you're gone and X, Y, and Z, you know? Now you're fearful, obviously, that when, eventually they will, when all these restrictions on our movement are lifted, that you'll have to go back to that long trek to, to the Netherlands every 12 weeks. Yeah, well, we, we have been told categorically, PJ, that um, we will have to go back. It's, it's not even a concern. It's a guarantee. The department, uh, Liz Dunphy, did a piece in the examiner which came out just today, um, she was she got a response from the department where they said that these measures uh, that are in place are temporary emergency measures is what they're described as. Um, so when, when COVID restrictions are lifted, we will have to go back to the prior arrangement of going to collect the medication ourselves. And I think what you're saying is it doesn't make sense. You can do it. During, a, during the pandemic, so you've proven that you can actually deliver it, why should you have to go back to collect it again? Can anyone explain that to you? I've got no explanation. I, I've, got, I've got no explanation for that. I got the details of, um, I got the details of what they want to do when I made inquiries about um, why or why this is the case or what... Uh, what it is that we can do to make this permanent, I kind of got what what you might call civil servant silence on the matter. Um, it uh, they they were not they were not engaging with any uh, explanation because it doesn't seem to make a whole pile of sense that if you need it today, it'll come in the back of a DHL van, and if you need it in three months' time, you got to go over there and get it yourself. It doesn't seem to make a whole pile of sense. So are you reaching out 
Vera to Simon Coveney again to say, look, Minister, can we do anything to make this permanent? You've shown it's able to be done. Can we do something now permanently? Yeah, I tried contacting Simon Coveney. Um, he didn't He didn't answer the phone to me. He's welcome to give me a buzz back if he wants, anytime. <laughs> um, Michal Martin rang me earlier and uh, I was very glad that he did. Um, and uh, he said... He rang you just this week, yeah? It just 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 earlier on today. Oh. Um, so um, I was very glad, very glad to get that phone call and from him. And what did he say to you or can you tell me? Well, he said that he was going to contact Stephen Donnelly and that he was going to get on to him about it. So I didn't ask him too many more questions because if, if he gets on and talks to Stephen, that would be good because I have been trying to contact Stephen Donnelly since, golly, I suppose, September at least. Mm. And I have asked for a phone call, a meeting, whatever suits anything, a Zoom call, whatever, to discuss the issue. And he's reluctant to speak to me. Um, so, like, my door is open to talk to everybody just to start it out. Mm. Um, Look, what doesn't seem to make sense to me, and I'm sure if it doesn't, it makes even less sense to you as, as the mother involved, why, why the DHL man can bring it this week, but you'd have to go and get it next month. It doesn't make sense. Could it have something to do with the law in the Netherlands, that they have to actually see you to hand you the medicine and maybe they made an exception here? In fact, you're, in fact, you're very correct because that is what they were saying, that it was the laws on the Dutch side that were impeding them from delivering it. But look at PJ, didn't they get over it? They got over that when the COVID came. So is it? I think sometimes that regarding the issue of medical cannabis or indeed cannabis in general, the will is not there to just make the effort to find a solution. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe in this case it, it was, it was similar. And I think that the money, the money that it's costing to fly people over and back could be spent a lot more wisely on other things for people like, you know, um, Autistic services or mm-hmm. inside in the school special needs assistance are, are, are such. It seems like it seems to me, you know, as the parent of a child who would love to have ac- access through the HSE to, to to more speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, and all of the services that this money could be much better spent elsewhere. You know, Vera, let us know if you hear back from Stephen Donnelly and if there's any progress on this and if anyone can explain what the problem is. I think trying to talk to his Dutch counterparts might might be his first port of call, I would think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I, hope, I hope that he will. I hope that he will pay us the compliment of speaking to us. I mean, we are, we are reasonable and ready to talk. And I, I don't even think that... Um, appointing a distributor is the most difficult obstacle that we have overcome. We have overcome more difficult obstacles mm. surrounding medical cannabis. So you think that in these COVID times, everybody's looking for more business. Everybody is looking for, you know, another another job to do. And I'm sure there are plenty uh, distributors appropriately qualified to collect the medication and deliver it in the long term for us. So I hope they'll get together and fix it first because, you know, it's 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 small children and and 
people that have serious conditions that they're doing it for. And, you know, we deserve, we deserve, we deserve a break. We really do, you know. Well, we'll see what happens with it and do keep in touch. Thanks very much, PJ. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. Mira Toomey speaking to me uh, yesterday. That's a story we'll watch with interest because I didn't know that they'd made a special arrangement for them that instead of having to go over there every 12 weeks, which would seem to be an issue of Dutch law rather than Irish law, to be fair, but rather than having to go over there at these risky times for travel, they were able to career it in by DHL. And you kind of wonder, well, why not just keep that going? Why not find a way to keep it going? It's one we'll follow. Eugene says, surely the DHL deliveries are a fraction of the cost to the government, so they should see it that way. True. Fair point, Eugene. They have to fly the family over. They have to pay for their transport to get to the pharmacy. They pay for the medicine, and then they fly them back, which is not cheap. Twelve for 12 weeks. So the DHL courier, what'll that cost you? 20 quid to bring it over? I don't know what, what it costs to bring a bottle of medicinal cannabis from uh, darkest Holland over to a bullock, but it's certainly not the same price as flying someone there. 1850-715-996. There was a story going around in the last 24 hours that I really wanted to clarify because it involved a good friend of the show, uh, Dr. Jack Lambert. He's one of a group of leading doctors who have signed what they're calling a white paper, uh, re- looking for a rethink of Neffet's strategy on dealing with the coronavirus. And I said, you know what? We really do need to catch up with Dr. Lambert. We'll do that next. Santa baby. For non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. Download our app or see 96fm.ie. Okay, first Zoom date. Final checks. Makeup is okay. Hair looks... Ugh, I miss the girls at the salon. Well, at least I don't have to shave my legs. I haven't worn this shirt in months. Thank God she won't be able to smell that. Some things never change. And at 96fmdating.ie, our listeners are genuine, fun people who just want to meet someone nice. And we'll urge them to wear a new shirt when you meet up. All sorted. Register for free today at 96fmdating.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. I'm reading from one of a number of media reports to do with this group, which has drawn up, some might call it a white paper, others might call it a discussion document. Um, who's on the group? What's its purpose? One of them is Dr. Jack Lambert. Jack, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. Who is involved in this group and what is the purpose of the document? Well, I was approached by a group of GPs and other medical doctors within Ireland who are are on on the coalface seeing what's happening with COVID in Ireland, not just the effect of COVID itself, but, you know, all of the other issues, you know, suicide, psychiatric issues, uh, neglect of other essential services and and they, they they kind of put together a document and approached me and see if I would support the document. So so I've been actually working with them and there's a lot of different issues and I think that the bottom line is is that 
uh, the, the feeling from this group is that they want to be a part of the solution here in Ireland, mm. working with the government. And, and at the present time, I think a lot, a lot of people who have expertise and something to offer feel excluded. Who, who uh, is involved? Yeah. Solution. Well, these, these there's, 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 there's a document. Yeah, well, there's GPs, there's, there's, you know, surgeons, there's, you know, occupational health doctors, there's other, you know, microbiology doctors. There's a whole range of different, you know, doctors who have signed to this, you know, you know, um, what, this this document, and I, I can send it on to you. And basically, they're they're just kind of putting it together as, you know, COVID nineteen alternative strategy, yeah. saying that we just can't go into repeat. Our solution in Ireland can't be re- only exclusively lockdowns, getting the numbers down, and banning international travel. You know, that will, absolutely, that will keep the numbers down, but there's a lot of collateral damage. It's been portrayed in some, ele- some areas of the media as a kind of a, as a condemnation of Nefet as being outdated or out of touch. Is that what it is, Jack? Absolutely not, absolutely not. And that, that, is, part of the, that, that is part of the media spin. Apparently there was some kind of a communication by another, another group of doctors in the Sunday Independent, you know, kind of a group called COVID Recovery. And this was which is a totally different different group, you know. So this is part of the spin, you know. We we keep on going off on tangents, you know. We should be fighting COVID. So no, absolutely not. There is no condemnation of of Nefet. The issue is is that public health doctors, modelers, everybody have their role in assisting with the solution, but they but they exclusively shouldn't be making the decisions. They really should be engaging people at all experts at all levels and that's that's what this uh white paper is a plea for is is to you know more engagement with the with the government with you know with all the experts because we need a multiple uh, a group of multidisciplinary experts to come up with all of the solutions like i said it's not just about it's not just about lockdown what are we doing right now uh during lockdown to ensure that when we open up it's going to be safe again. Yeah. There has to be all sorts of COVID mes- prevention messages going out there rather than focusing on William Street, people getting drunk, uh, we're going to ban outdoor drinking. That is number 99 in my list. Number one in my list would be, you know, making sure that all of the facilities in the community are COVID safe, you know, wearing masks, hand washing, all of these kind of things. I think half of the facilities in Dublin right now are not COVID safe mm-hmm. uh, at the present time. I think we actually need to do a better job of, of what we're doing because COVID is an unforgiving virus. We need to wear a mask. We need to hand wash. We need to social distance. Mm-hmm. And we can do that safely and move on, I think. You, you brought up and, the street drinking and it's been a huge topic on this programme for the last two days and you made the point that it's number 99 on your list and that number one is, is COVID safety. I think a lot of people would agree with you there. Yeah. But people who are doing their best, washing their hands, wearing their masks, keeping their their distance, doing everything they're asked to do, they, they, they look into the streets and see this going on and they think, why am I bothering? Yeah, no, I understand. It's very frustrating, but but like I said, this is this this is a you know this is nine months in, into into a pandemic. You know, we're we're hoping for a vaccine, and I am too. But the vaccine's not going to be available tomorrow. It's going to take six to twelve months to really roll it out. What do we do in the next six to twelve months to safely get on with our lives? You know, that is really the question, and that's what this white paper is about. Yeah. You believe, I think, or the authors of this document believe that certain expertise is being perhaps 
sidelined and in actual fact should be working alongside Neffet, if you like, um, adding into Neffet's work. Is that it? Absolutely. There's an expert advisory group, for example, that's been put together that's under HICWA with many of my colleagues who are members of that, with excellent resumes, excellent expertise, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of expertise in infectious diseases. And there's very little communication, to my understanding. I'm not a member of this group. My colleagues are. There's there's very little communication between uh, NAFET and them. I I think the expert advisory group should be leading the country and NAFET should be advising them and advising the politicians. I just think we need to get more people on a daily basis at the table making decisions because these decisions are critical. They can't wait. And I'm sure the public health experts would say, Jack, and you being an infectious disease consultant, you'd you'd freely admit you're on a separate shelf, as it were, to a public health infection control. They'd say, well, actually, it's a public health emergency and everything else takes second place. Okay, but but you, you need... You need boots in the ground. You need people with expertise. You need modelers, but the modelers have to know what to model, okay? And part of this document actually goes through the issues with the PCR. The You know, what we want to identify is newly infected people, okay? The current PCRs, and this document says, it's not just picking up newly infected people, but it's picking up people who maybe were infected two weeks ago, four weeks ago. You understand? The PCR stays positive for sometimes two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, you okay. can't, you know, so you actually have to look at the numbers. You need to look at the numbers of new infections. You need to look at the people who are who are getting infected. And then finally, we did have a huge crisis in March and April with huge numbers in the hospital. We've got very small numbers at the present time in the hospital, which is great. But but the, but I think the public keeps on getting the message that, you know, that, oh, the numbers are out of control, the numbers are out of control, the hospitals can't handle it, our ICUs will, will be overwhelmed. Our ICUs are not overwhelmed. And we should be focusing also on when are we going to start building new ICU beds? You know, when are we going to actually yeah. start having a, a, rep- a plan for, you know, returning traveller that with PCRs... But didn't, didn't you know, we go into this level five because we were afraid that the ICUs would get overwhelmed? Yeah, we were, we, we've, you know, so do we live our life in fear that this might happen or do we work on a plan to make sure it doesn't happen? And, and what I would be that, your element of that plan? Give me three elements that would make that plan, Jack. Okay, three, three elements. A mask. A mask indoors, a mask outdoors. Moving forward, uh, Masks have made a difference in countries that have been successful. I think somebody needs to stand up like Biden does and says, wear a mask. You know, we're putting masks at the bottom of our list. It took us till August to, 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 to mandate it in public transportation and going into, you know, grocery stores. Uh, we knew it back in March and April. So masks are number one, I think, is, is really important. And then number two, I think we actually have to get a reconfigured group. We need to get more representation, day-to-day, you know, representation of the public health emergency group. Uh, so I think, so I think it is important to have more uh, expert opinion on that group on a day-to-day basis because you don't need just public health and modelers. You need more experts t- to put together the pros and cons to discuss these issues. You know, there's lots of different factors that have to be included. So I think we have to have a look at reconfiguring. Uh, the the an action group that works on a daily basis. This is an emergency, you know. We take four. To, we're now four weeks into the lockdown, and we've gone too long. So number two is that, and I think number three, we need to have come up with a robust plan to deal with, 
you know, the, the, the elephant in the room. We've got a border between the north and the south. Yeah. We're telling people they can't fly back from Vancouver where it's perfectly safe to come, you know, uh, for, for a holiday. And I think people could come safely, but we need to have a plan to safely allow uh, international travel, including safe travel between the north and the south. And at the present time, we have a leaky border and people are just ignoring that. And we have a very poor quarantine system. Absolutely. And that's all part of that. Which is exactly kind of what they're saying in Australia, where they seem to have kicked it now. Quarantine, quarantine, quarantine. and, And be ruthless about it. Right. But, but but I think moving forward we need we need to have a plan that isn't that isn't locked down exclusively okay. and banning all international travel. So I've just given you three suggestions. Yeah, and thank you. And finally, Jack, you made a point in another interview you did that back in the fifties, uh, the TB crisis, uh, they took over certain hospitals in various regions and made them only into TB centres. Is there a case to be made for COVID-only centres in all the regions? Absolutely, I think I think we can make an argument that you just have have a dedicated you know number of facilities that that deal with COVID. I think even when you have outbreaks in nursing homes, you know I think the best way to to deal with that in care centres is transfer them to a care centre where where they could be eliminated from you know the general care centre, but get excellent care in 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 a specialised you know kind of care centre. So whether it's acute care or even chronic care, I think. I think there's a lot. We have an opportunity to moving forward to, to 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 live with COVID and have a plan that is not going to impact on the whole country's healthcare system. All right, always good to talk to you, and glad to have you clarify a few things. That does, uh, Professor Jack Lambert from the Matter in Dublin. Thank you, Jack. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. No way are they condemning Neffet. No way are they saying Neffet's out of touch. They're saying Neffet needs to be part of it. But there's other parts, other spokes, as it were, to the wheel. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. We do a round of the 10K toy giveaway in an hour and a half from now. 90 minutes time, run half 11. We'll do another round of the 2K toy giveaway. Massive response to this. The text and WhatsApp machine goes into overdrive every time we mention it. And they're coming in already. We're not doing it till half 11, right? Who will? 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, Cork's 96FM Facebook page for your messages. Mark them for the attention of the Opinion Line. Good to talk to Jack Lambert. He's a man for whom we at the Opinion Line, our team here, has enormous respect. Uh, Ever since he he did breakthrough stuff with us a number of years ago on the subject of Lyme disease. And he opened up a whole week for us, literally week of coverage of Lyme's disease and allowed people to come forward and talk about Lyme disease and the suffering it has caused them. And Jack Lambert has remained a very good contact of the show from that day to this. So, when he has concerns about how we're dealing with COVID-19, then we want to hear them. He's not condemning Neffet. He's not saying Neffet is outdated. He's not saying Neffet is out of touch. He's been wrongly quoted in that regard. He is saying that there's more expertise out there that needs to be listened to so we can plan for 2021 knowing that you know what we've got vaccine in the channels there's a couple of vaccines in the channels and that's all great news and we'll talk about that later on but 
we got to do a better plan for the year ahead. And I think if that's what Jack Lambert is saying, then Jack Lambert needs to be listened to. And in particular, I love his bit. And we haven't done this. And back at the time when we took over all the private hospitals back in March or April, which was a great day's work, what should have happened was that a hospital in each region should have been isolated and said, right, from now on, until this thing is over, because it will be over, until this thing is over, that's the COVID hospital. So let's pick any hospital you like. Let's say off the top of our heads, you, you chose the matter, private, down in Blackrock. They're not, but I'm just pulling it out of the top of my head, right? Everybody with a COVID hospitalization need, if you need to go to hospital with COVID, it's in there you go. If you need specialized treatment for COVID, it's in there you go. And everyone else then that needs to be treated for cancer or a bad ankle or a bad knee or a cataract or something, or kidneys or can't, they go to the other hospitals. They did that with TB. 60 years ago, 70 years ago now. Why couldn't we do it now? So we'll, we'll stay in touch with Dr. Lambert as regards uh, that plan. 1850 Yesterday we spoke on the programme about people being afraid of their children and about an increase in intimidation, shall we say, or domestic violence or domestic abuse of some sort of adults by their children. We also took a harrowing call from a listener who told us off air that the whole family is worried about their sister. The sister has been psychologically abused her whole life by both her husband and as they became teenagers by her children. It tipped over into actual physical abuse as she got older and now she's less able to defend herself and now... They've prevented visits from brothers and sisters, which was the one treat and the one joy she had in life when they would maybe take her out for a meal or something like that. They've seen their sister at one point with a fist held to her head by one of her own children. And that person was asking us, how common is this? And what can be done about it? And almost in the same breath, we got a press release from Safeguarding Ireland who told us that almost one in four people do not know to whom to report adult abuse. It's going on, but if it's happening to you or happening to a loved one, to whom do you report it? What's the first step you need to take? Patricia Rickard-Clark is the chair of Safeguarding Ireland and joins me now. Patricia, good morning. Good morning, PJ. A very distressing story that we were told on the phone by that caller. Not uncommon in your, in your work. Uh, no, not at all. And just on on the issue of coercive control and that, uh, we did a, a recent survey which showed that, um, in fact, the highest level of abuse was psychological, emotional abuse, coercive control and undue influence. And, of course, that, uh, and we had a case there last week that was reported yes. where a person successfully took a case uh, under the offensive uh, coercive control. But that offence in the domestic violence legislation is limited to people who are or have been in an intimate relationship. So it doesn't necessarily um, apply or people don't have the necessity or the, 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 the wherewithal to uh, take that um, a case or make an application under that offence if it is actually an adult uh, person against an adult child. 
So, in other words, the intimate relationship isn't there. Mm. One of the issues that Safeguarding Ireland would be looking for is actually wide safeguarding legislation that would actually include that offence in the widest context so that anybody can report. Also, um, I do know that there's an increase in the number of cases uh, being taken uh, again on the domestic violence legislation, but for protection, safety and barring orders of uh, adults against uh, adult family members, younger family members. Uh, but again, uh, the statistics and the collection of the data is very limited. But last year, the court service did an observant study on that and um, found that about a quarter of the applications were by an older person, a yeah. parent or a family member against a younger adult family member. So we have an issue here. So our recent report then is on the whole issue of as you say, who do you report to? Yeah, like if you're and, worried about someone, if I'm if worried about someone, about where somebody, do I go? Yes, and we at the moment, uh, we certainly need clarity uh, of where we report concerns to. And we have a number of different public bodies that can we can report to. Um, so in other words, um, if it's uh, obviously an urgent matter, the Gardaí should be contacted. If it's uh, older people's services or disability services in the community, it's the HSE safeguarding and protection teams. If it's finance, it's to your bank. But all of these are separate uh, organisations. And really what we need is an overarching national structure um, which we need to plan for and it needs to be underpinned by legislation uh, and we need that developed and we need that developed as a matter of urgency. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's uh, but again, um, in our survey, just 70% said they would report it if they were um, personally abused, while a higher percentage said that they would report or encourage somebody else who had been abused to report. But that means of that 70%, 30%, wouldn't report. And again, the figures indicate that the, the the numbers that don't report are mainly women. And that's across the board. It's not only older women, it's younger women as well. And again, that comes back to they, women are more likely to be in an abusive uh, over uh, overbearing situation of uh, emotional and psychological abuse. Yeah. So these issues really have to be addressed. We have to call it out. We have to recognise it. And as a society, we don't always recognise the abuse that's happening. It's the kind of um, stuff that happens behind closed doors, uh, and it, we never indeed. we never see. But in the case, say, of our correspondent here, and obviously we've no identification here, so so that's safe. Like, if you're if that. That person is worried about their sister. Can they pick the phone up to anybody? Or does the complaint have to be made by the sister herself? No, it doesn't. And in fact, people can make an anonymous complaint as well. And you can make that, I would say, to the HSC safeguarding and protection teams in the first place. And they have skilled uh, people that they can send out and that can be difficult as well. Uh, They don't have to say who the complaint is for or whether they've received a complaint to public health. Nurse can call out and uh, just... uh, The the other thing I would say, though, again, the difficulty we have is the HSC uh, safeguarding protection teams, they're not set up on a statutory footing. There's no statutory base for them. So actually, we don't, again, have a facility. They can't automatically have access to a person's home or into a nursing home or whatever because they don't have a legal right to do so and that is why again we need that overarching safeguarding legislation where we have an independent authority can carry out investigations we have a central um 
focus or uh, uh, authority where people can report to, and they have powers that yeah. they can take I- in relation to some of those issues. Now, I know on your website, safeguardingireland.org, you have put in some information as to where somebody might go. Uh, that's right. We have those re- reporting facilities. And again, uh, the details of uh, phone calls and contact, I would say, too, for financial c- control, for financial abuse, which is we have a high level in this country of financial abuse, particularly of older people. And the older you get, the higher the level of abuse and neglect and financial control. But each of the banks now, each of the main banks, have a separate vulnerable customer's number that a person can ring. And uh, again, and you will get a voice as distinct from a recording. So it's important that people take action again if there are issues um, with regard to pensions or whatever, the Department of Social Protection, uh, they also have a vulnerable customer units. And with the HSE safeguarding and protection teams, there are nine teams around the country. Their, their numbers are given on our website as well. And again, you, you should ring and personally talk to somebody. And as yeah. I say, you can give that information anonymously uh, if you're in fear or if you prefer it that way. There's no problem. You can give anonymous uh, information to the banks and indeed to the department yeah. as well. Someone on the phone here and look it's it's a very specific complaint so maybe you can or you can't address it. Caller to us right now says that a HSE staff member saw her sister being intimidated, this is a different caller saw her sister being intimidated and did nothing about it. Well, I can't, I can't. I don't know the circumstance, so I yeah. can't comment on that. But I mean, if somebody is not satisfied with the service they're getting, they should go elsewhere. And as I say, you know, the Gardaí during the whole COVID, their community guardies have been super. Um, and it's not that you're, you know, you're making an official complaint of a crime and offence, although a lot of abuse is an offence. Uh, it's important to call the assistance of a Gardaí if necessary. Okay. And the community guardies are, are, are very au fait with the issues around the whole question of abuse. All right, thank you for your time today, Patricia Rickard-Clark, who's the Chair of Safeguarding Ireland. Their website, which has a lot of information on it, but where you can go to report something or where you might get some information or some help is www.safeguardingireland.org. See a tweet in there from Aaron. Valid tweet uh, about the celebration in Ballina when Joe Biden won the presidential election. There were celebrations in his ancestral home of Ballina. And Aaron said, hang on, this wasn't called out. There was no outrage here. There was crowds in the street that night. You're, you're, wrong. you're not wrong, Aaron. I did see that. And I thought, that's a bit odd. And there were scenes on the 9 o'clock news on television, clearly of crowds in the street. Which, yes, you're correct. That, that should, should not have been tolerated on the, uh, given the times in which we live. 1850-715-996 Get ready for fun and play We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees For free For free Corks 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway is here. With Johnson & Parrott, Douglas Bishopstown and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Corks 96 FM. Now here's an unusual one. 
Uh, I'm going to talk to Gennaro about an ad he saw. Now, please, Gennaro, just don't name the advertiser for, for, for at, the, at this point in time anyway. If they want to talk to us, they're welcome to do so. You're looking for a place to rent, yeah? Hello? Hello, Gennaro. How are we doing, PJ? You're lo- are you looking for a place to rent or did you just find this? No, no, I'm not looking for a place to rent. I was just looking on Facebook and I saw this ad and, and on the first site I thought, and that's weird, you know. And then when I open the comments, I see this guy look like really looking only for people, people that they were vegan. And like, to me, it sounded a bit uh, strange, you know. So like, it was an ad. It, it was an ad for a room for rent, and and the guy advertising it had said it would only be rented to a vegan. Exactly, a small little place going, uh, a small little place going on one hundred percent vegetarian household. And another guy commented on the under the post said, uh, "How much is for month?" And the guy expressly said, uh, "Are you vegan?" So I'm, I'm just a bit surprised. I'd be like, "You don't need to have a concern about what is my lifestyle or uh, what is my believing. Only the concern when you're uh, renting a room or." or you're renting a house or whatever, it should be only like mm. if you can pay the rent and and I suppose when you're sharing the room, if you're a clean person, that's, that's the only two concerns that people should have, but not mm. about the the lifestyle that a person has, you know, I believe. Yeah. Mind you, we'd see ads from time to time that non-smokers preferred or anything like that. Maybe. Yeah, well, that, that that's fair, but you can you you can deal with that too, you know. Like for example, okay, I'm not. I, I, you go and look at a house. They'll tell you you're. A, I don't want a smoker. You can deal with that and say, okay, I go smoke outside. It's, yeah, it's not a big deal. But like this is about like cooking, you know. I, uh, like, yeah, sorry, it's okay. a room, so not an entire flat. So I mean, if there are existing tenants in the place and and everybody else in the house is either vegan or vegetarian, don't they have a right to say, well, look, there's that room up, but we'd much prefer this to go to another vegan or another vegetarian, because this is how we live. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's fair on, on people, you know, especially when there is so many people looking for houses out there, you know, like we're looking for a place to stay, you know, like why a, a lifestyle should affect uh, the the renting of a room, you know. Like, well, I suppose I if they're I, sharing a kitchen, Gennaro, if they're sharing a kitchen, then yeah. if you're not vegan, if they, if if all the cooking in the house is vegan and you're sharing a kitchen, then okay, you would be seen to be, and I use the word carefully, contaminating the kitchen with non-vegan cooking methods. Yeah, you you got a point there, but. On the on the same on the same hand, like it, it wouldn't be a, a bad thing, you know. The person that is going inside to buy his own utensil for cooking, for example, you know. Yes, yes, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're you know. I, I I I don't think it's a it's a, a a big thing to say no, only vegan. This is a, I don't want to put it out out like maybe a discrimination, but it kind of is, you know. So mm-hmm. like. If you if you're not able to sh- like when you're sharing out, I'm sharing out at the moment myself. Okay. But when you share, well, if you're uh, if you cannot cross some point, like you say, okay, until here, then don't don't share house. Just rent a room, uh, a flat by yourself. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it is a done thing, say, in London, uh, when someone is renting out a room that you'd see lots of little things like certainly no smoker, no smokers. You'd see vegetarians only, vegans only. There are actually specific websites for vegans to rent houses from other vegans and rooms from other vegans. It's okay, a thing, I I'm wondering what people would, would whether people would agree with it. And particularly, look, there's a very active and, and growing vegan community in Cork. I wonder how they would feel about an ad like this and why they might want to have only someone vegan renting a room in their house. Gennaro, thank you very much. Uh, much appreciate you coming on. So there he is. Thanks, Gennaro. He was scrolling through Facebook. Now, he himself is grand. He's not looking for a place to rent, but he's scrolling through Facebook and he sees this room for rent. And among the T's and C's is you got to be a vegan. It's a vegan house. Everybody else in the house is vegan or vegetarian. you got to be vegan if you're going to rent this room in the house. Gennaro reckons that's not fair. He reckons it's discriminatory. He reckons with everybody out there, so many people needing places to stay and to rent and to live that to say only vegans welcome here kind of thing is wrong. I wonder, what do you think? And for example, in particular, our our vegan community or our vegetarian community, if it's a shared kitchen, I guess if it's a shared kitchen and there's four or five people living in the house and they're all vegans, I suppose the last thing you want on a Sunday morning is someone frying sausages in your kitchen. You, You don't want to have I guess that or, or, but do you still have a right to say well that room up there in, on the for, vegans only please 1957 When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
20. For fans of traditional and folk music, the Opera House Sessions will showcase some of Cork's best homegrown talent and the first instalment of this series sees the much-anticipated return of Cork composer Cormac McCarthy. Cormac will be joined by a host of talented musicians on November 20th with details on live streaming tickets at corkoperahouse.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 996. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. With level 5 restrictions in place for another, what, two weeks, I think, from tomorrow. It's more important than ever to keep things local, which is why Cork's 96FM is asking you to make every effort this Christmas to shop local. Whether it's in-store, online, click or collect, try to keep it local because a thriving local economy is good for everyone. You'll save time and you will support local jobs. You might even save a little bit of money. So thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at Cork's 96FM, this is proudly supported by McCarthy Insurance Group where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. More information from them at mig.ie. We've had some really good news again in the last 24 hours, or what looks like really good news for those of us who don't, I guess. Uh, we see it as, oh, there's a vaccine and it's 90-something percent effective and we're really thrilled and really happy about it and there could be 1.6 million doses of it for Ireland. Last week we had the Pfizer story uh, where their Pfizer vaccine is clinical trials are showing it to be more than 90% effective in regard to COVID-19 and then yesterday this other company Moderna says its vaccine is 94.5% effective. This sounds like fierce exciting stuff altogether and is is kind of given the impression sure we'll be done and dusted with this thing by this time next year which would be absolutely great. Now last evening that came up at the briefing the CMO's briefing where Deputy CMO Ronan Vinn was asked about it. I do hope that that these vaccines and other vaccine candidates in development will be a very significant uh, development in relation to this pandemic, but it's too early at this point to to conclude that. And it's certainly too early for people to start dropping their guard. Cautiously optimistic. Uh, Let's not jump before we can walk, as they say. Dr. Rachel McLaughlin is a professor of immunology at TCD. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Is Dr. Glyn right? This is great news, but let's not run before we can walk. He's 100% right. From a scientist's perspective, it's fantastic news. I mean, it's, it's, it's very exciting to see the results of the, the interim analysis from these two trials the last two weeks in a row now. Have, it's very exciting from a scientist's perspective, but we've a long way to go to translate that to actual rollout of an effective vaccine to billions of people globally. So cautious optimism is where we need to be. Let's start at the very start. When Moderna and Pfizer say that our vaccine is 90% effective or it's 94% effective, what do they mean? Right. So both companies have not completed their clinical trials. So that's the first thing. We need to wait until the trials are completed. What they've done is released interim analysis. So they're allowed to do that when they get to a certain point of cases. And in both of the studies, they're very comparable. 
they both have reached 90, I think the, the, the Pfizer was 90 cases and the Moderna was 95 cases of the virus, okay? So they've looked with Moderna, they've looked at 95 people who've gotten COVID-19 and of those, 94.5% of them, so the majority, didn't get the vaccine. So they're looking at the number Sorry, of people who've gotten COVID. They didn't get the vaccine or they didn't get COVID? Sorry, sorry. They, they got COVID, but they didn't get the vaccine. They right. only got the control. Ah, so yeah. that maybe, means, maybe bring it back to, to brass tacks, uh, Rachel, for, for our listeners. When yeah. you're testing something, like you have something in a test tube uh, or, a, or a syringe and you're testing it, explain what control groups yeah. and placebos yeah. and all that are. Sure, sure, sure. So in this vaccine trial, people go into the trial and they're split into two groups. Half people get the vaccine and half the people get what's known as a placebo, so a saline solution. So they don't get the vaccine. And then they wait and see who gets the disease. And in these studies, when 95 95 people got COVID, they then looked at those 95 people and said, were they the people, how many of those got the vaccine and how many of them got the saline solution? And 94% of those who got COVID got the saline solution. In other words, they didn't get the vaccine. So that means that the majority of people who got the vaccine didn't get the disease. Okay. So that's why they're very excited. And that's why they're able to quote these numbers, that the vaccine is 94.5% effective. Now, there's a caveat there. This is only 95 people with COVID. As the numbers of people increase in the study, that 95% efficacy may drop. But it's a very high starting point to be at. So even if it drops down by a couple of percentages, it's still very effective. It still looks like it's a very effective vaccine. So again, effectively breaking this down into, you know, uh-huh. John and Mary soap type English. So you take two, you take two groups, we'll say of 100 yep. people. Yep. You, you give one group 100 of 100 people the vaccine you give another group of 100 people a saline solution you don't tell anyone who's getting what and then you infect them all with COVID-19 no No? then you wait and see who gets COVID so in these studies they actually they gave they recruited 30,000 people so 30,000 people were enrolled split into two groups 15,000 were given the vaccine 15,000 were given the saline and then they were sent out it is a big sample, and that's why this is, this is you know, encouraging data. And then those people were sent out into the world about their business. And we, they waited to see who got COVID. And when they got to the point that there were 95 cases of COVID, they then got an independent monitoring, data monitoring company in to look at those 95 people and see what proportion of them got the vaccine. And it turns out that only... Um, a tiny number of people who got the disease had the vaccine. The majority of people didn't get the vaccine. That's that's brilliant science. And and is it the same methodology used for both Moderna and exactly. Pfizer? Right. Okay. So this is so the caution comes from. If I'd have been talking to you last week, I would have said to you, you know, it's very exciting, but it's an interim analysis. The study is not fully complete. There's an awful lot more data needs to be gathered before we can really take. Um, take anything too much from this. However, we're now a week later. We have a completely independent company. Don't forget, these are two separate companies doing their own vaccine trials separately. And the data coming out of the two studies is very comparable. So scientifically, that is gives you a lot of confidence. There's Certainly. still a long way to go, yeah. but the fact that it's the same level of 
um, efficacy or effectiveness with two different vaccines in trials run separately by two different companies, we have to start being pretty, you know, And did they both huge, use big samples like that? They did. So the Pfizer, com- the Pfizer study was 44,000 and the Moderna study was 30,000. Wow. So comparable large numbers of people. But again, while those numbers do sound large and, and they are encouraging it's a drop in the ocean compared to the entire global sure population. Is. Sure it know. is, yeah. So yeah. that's where the caution needs, needs to come in. Do they then analyse in whom it worked? Like, you know, as in yeah. of the people for whom it worked, do they analyse the, who's the best possible recipient for this vaccine? So that's the next layer of complexity for this. So the information that we're receiving from the Moderna study has given us a little bit more information than Pfizer did last week. And the Moderna study said that um, they actually revealed that 11 of these people who got the COVID, uh, who got COVID in this group, had severe COVID. So that's encouraging that they were also looking at not just people who got the disease, but they were also looking at people who got severe disease. And these 11 individuals who got severe COVID, none of those had received the vaccine. So again, implying that the vaccine has the potential to protect against the more severe forms of the disease. So you see, this is what these trials now need to do. They need to dissect further into who are the, you know, what level of Do they test ethnicities like black and Asian and minorities? They do, they do. Exactly. And again, we have information from the Moderna study that they had, I think it was 20% of their cases were in um, ethnic minorities. So again, Mm. that's also encouraging that there seems to be, it's looking like it's it's effective there. people who are overweight and that kind of thing? Well, that's what we need to look at. No data yet on that. The Moderna study also had 15 cases in the older adults, so over 65. So again, encouraging, because that was the big question. You know, when we get the first vaccine to market, we don't know if it's going to be effective in all populations. And we still don't know that answer. But again, in the interim analysis, encouraging um, encouraging indications from Moderna. But we need more data and we need um, longer time to look at the studies because, of course, none of these studies yet tell us how long these vaccines are going to work for. And I suppose only time will give us that answer. And this is the unfortunate thing. People want those answers, but nothing, you're right, only time. We have to wait. The only way we'll know how long these people are protected for is by simply following them up. And the, the pharma companies are doing that. Everyone in this trial is going to be followed for at least two years. Okay. So with time, we'll have significant, you know, more data on the effectiveness of these vaccines. Now, looking at the technology involved, this is a thing called mRNA. Mm-hmm. Now, we know what RNA is. It's part of your, our genetic makeup. What's mRNA and how does it work? So it's the, the M stands for messenger. So messenger RNA is it's basically what happens with these, vi- with these vaccines is they deliver a piece of the virus genetic material to the, the body's cells. And our own body, the machinery in our own body for making proteins, reads this genetic information and actually produces the viral protein, so the viral spike protein. People might have heard of the spike protein. That's the yeah. bit of the virus that allows it to attach to our cells. When we see the cartoon of the ball with yes. the little hooks on it. That's exactly it. Is that where, the, is that where it attacks? 
that's so the little spiky bits that come out of the virus, those things that stick out of the virus, yeah. they're the bits that stick to our cells in our respiratory tract and allow it to attach and infect us. So what these, these vaccines are doing is targeting those spike proteins, so targeting those little spiky bits that allow the virus to attach. And if you can block that attachment, then you block the virus Gotcha. from getting into your cells and making you sick. So the, what these vaccines do, so what all vaccines do, is expose your immune system to a little bit of the virus to allow your immune system to respond. And then your immune system generates the antibodies and the memory cells that it needs to then protect itself if it sees the actual virus. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the novel thing about these new vaccines is instead of exposing your immune system to a dead virus or a bit of a virus, yeah. it's just giving your body the genetic information to allow it to make the viral protein itself. So it's turning your body into a little viral you... protein making factory. Rachel, this, this is something that was 20 years ago was science fiction. A hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's not even 20 years ago, less 10, eight years ago, um, it was, it, you know, this was in, in its infancy. And you see, this, some people might be concerned about how, how have we been able to get effective vaccines so quickly? We I was about to ask you that question. Right. Pe- people are nervous that something, yeah. the, the last major vaccine we had to develop, people have been quoting, say, HIV. We're 25 years, we don't have a vaccine. No. It took years to get a polio vaccine, years to get a smallpox vaccine. We've done this in, in 12 months. And what worry or less, and what worries people is, is it too fast? Yes, and so that is a valid concern that people may have. But what's what we need to know about, what people need to know about this is this technology was being developed over the last 10 years. So the company, BioNTech, which was the biotech company in Germany that partnered with Pfizer, they had this technology and they were using this technology to develop actually cancer and cancer vaccines. And when COVID emerged earlier, coronavirus COVID-2 emerged earlier this year, they then turned their attention to it. So the fact that there had been years of research in the vaccine development sector and in basic biomedical research into viral infections meant that scientists had the tools and the knowledge ready to apply to the SARS-CoV-2 virus when it emerged. Right. And that highlights how important it is, you know, that we do basic research and that we're ready to react when these things happen. And then, of course, we've never seen anything like this, such a global concerted effort yes. focused on one disease. Yeah. Every, like scientists all over the globe, all working on it. And it shows you what an effort like that can the, achieve. The, the, knowledge, so. the knowledge that's out there is, is just phenomenal. And just a question on the, the messenger RNA. Is it that mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm vaccinated with this, that my body learns from it to produce my own my own are to damage the the, 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 the virus is that no. it no so what happens is what you need is your what your immune system cells need is your immune cells need to see a bit of the virus and your options then are either introduce a bit of the virus to your body to allow your immune cells to see it or in this case introduce the genetic information from the virus that allows your body to make the virus protein that the immune cells then just see. So the kind of concept of what it's doing to your immune system is the same as what all vaccines do. It yeah. educates your immune system yeah. and allows it to remember it. But the new bit is that instead of introducing a bit of the virus, you're just introducing a bit of the genetic material. Right. So 
no virus goes into anyone's body. So that should alleviate, you know, concerns okay. people might have okay. about that. And your body reacts too. chemically then to what's, what's put and, in. And so, make what you, you need to recognize the virus. I know you're, you're short for time, but just one, one more question. And yeah. then, this is very exciting news. It is fascinating science. Personally, as someone who, who loves the science, I could stay here talking to you all day. But <laughs> how realistically, Rachel, how quickly yeah. before I can roll up the sleeve of my shirt? So this is the big question now with this whole process. First of all, we need an effective vaccine and a safe vaccine. And that's the priority for everyone. And that's what the trials are doing now. And the next step is that safety data needs to be released from these trials. And the FDA are going to look at that and make the decision about granting approval for these vaccines. Second is the logistics. How do we get these vaccines produced in enough numbers and rolled out across the globe to access enough people and you know the governments are in 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 discussions now about securing vaccines for each individual country ireland is part of the eu will get their allocation through the deals that the eu makes so so, you know so that's that's happening and then there has going to be lots of discussions who's going to get the vaccines first and there are obviously ethical and discussions that have to be had around that it's likely, although we don't know for sure, but it's likely that healthcare workers will be the first group of people that will have access to the virus. So it's going to be take some time before the virus is rolled out globally across the entire community. So mm. we're going to have to be patient. And then the biggest thing I just wanted to mention before I finish, the big challenge that's coming our way is vaccine hesitancy. Yes. So we have to convince people to take this vaccine. So once it's available and once we figure out the logistics, it's only going to work if people actually take it. And so that's going to be the next challenge is convincing Because you're going to have a huge anti-vax bandwagon here. Well, I wouldn't even go as far as that. I would say genuinely and, and fairly rightly so a lot of people might be hesitant. They might not be anti-vax. They might just have some concerns. And we need to make sure that we educate and alleviate the fears that people have and that are genuine. Um, And so information and disseminating the information to people and reassuring people that the vaccine is safe will be very important. Well, to be fair, the last 10 to 12 minutes that you've you've explained the science so well and so clearly, if we can have more of that, I think we'll have cues to get it in their arms. Let's hope so. All right. Listen, Rachel, thank you so much. And we may catch up again uh, as as this develops because it's a fascinating science. That's Dr. Thank you. That's Dr. Rachel McLaughlin. She's professor of immunology at TCD. This was science fiction 10 years ago. Why were they able to do it so fast? Because the technology is there. They just brought it all together. This is, I, I, I know I sound like a child in a toy shop. This is fascinating stuff. Really fascinating stuff. 1850-715-996. We, we had two vice principals in our school, two deputy oh, principals, two. and they shared it, yeah. And anyone that was late for school, he locked everyone outside, and oh, then he'd yeah. come to deal with them afterwards okay, and send yeah. his attention. Yeah. He let everybody else in, and he waited, and Shane was the last one left, oh. and he just and he had a leaf in his hand it was autumn he had a leaf in his hand and it had a load of like <laughs> dust and dirt on it and he goes Mr Woods this is you now <laughs> and then he turned the leaf over and he went and that's you when I'm done with you <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia book your test drive now at noeldc.com exclusively Skoda in Cork City Cork's 96 FM
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. And we certainly will keep in touch with Dr. Rachel McLaughlin as this vaccine story develops over the weeks and probably months ahead because great ability to break down the science for us. Great to have it. Now, on Gennaro's ads that he found on Facebook for a room in a house that said effectively only vegans need apply. Hi, PJ, I'm a big meat eater, but if vegans only want a vegan as their tenant, that's their right. You'd have to sterilise the kitchen after the meat eater eats. Too messy altogether, says Anne. But Tom says that's discrimination, PJ. It's only 50 years since English landlords had no blacks, no dogs and no Irish. These landlords have some cheek. But uh, Craig says the advertiser is entitled to ask for vegans only. It's their house, their rules. Anyone with an objection doesn't need to apply. Regards, Craig, proud carnivore. And another caller says a lot of vegans can't stand the sight of blood or the smell of meat cooking. That could be the reason they're entitled to it. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. Uh, the hashtag OL96. And there's always the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Uh, send us a message and mark it for the attention of the opinion line. We will do it this hour. We will do it in just over 25 minutes. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Johnson & Parrott, Douglas Bishopstown and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. I'll give you everything that you want. Yeah, I'll give you your chance to text a WhatsApp this hour in or around half 11, 23, 24 minutes from now. You'll hear the cue to call, then you text a WhatsApp in at 083 396 96 96. We'll call you back, we'll choose someone, call them back, answer a simple question, and you'll be in the daily draw, which takes place after six with Lorraine on the big drive home. One of two 500 euro toy shopping sprees getting give out every day so it could be you today but you've got to get through first half 11 is the time we'll do it it's Cork's 96 Vims 10k toy giveaway with Johnson and Perrot Douglas Bishopstown and Mahon Point put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021 always open at jpmg.ie that is coming up as I said in under 25 minutes time 1850 715 996 have an H to this every time my family go out to the shops and come back they're at risk of carrying the virus and bringing that back into the house I've never like felt so unsafe in my home it was the worst day of my life I had to ring all my girls and tell them that we were closing if the doctor had to choose between me and a healthy person they're going to choose the healthy person nine times out of ten because the chances of the healthy person surviving are a lot higher than me surviving it's a trailer for a new documentary called Sale We Lost, which is on TG Car, but as you've can heard, it's mostly in English. Trish O'Neill uh, from Dunham Moore is one of the people taking part. Trish, good morning to you. 
Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you. What is the documentary about and what part did you play in it? So, to translate, it's translated into life under lockdown. So, it's a documentary capturing the lives of different people with different challenges over the first period of lockdown that we went through. Um, And myself and my family appear in it because they wanted to focus in on a family with... Uh, a number of kids, in the case I have three, and they wanted to document how we would get through lockdown because we're two parents who had to work full time, we had to juggle the three kids, and it was quite the experience, so it was a good one to uh, to capture. Yeah, well, the fact that you're here talking to me means you at least got through it. How was it? <laughs> it was, um, I won't lie, it was very, very tough, um, and I know it was the same for, for lots of different people. Everybody had their own little battle. Um, but I think the biggest challenge was just trying to balance our commitment to work, but the most important commitment, which was that to the kids. And having them out of school was just very difficult for them. I know a lot of people tried to homeschool. I will put my hand up and say that we absolutely failed at that. It was just too challenging whatsoever. And my son, my son has autism, so he found it very difficult to be out mm. of school and out of his routine. So that was an additional challenge then as well. It's Connor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Connor. Yeah. How did I mean how did he deal with it? Obviously children on the spectrum, routine very important. He would have mm-hmm. considered school a vital part of his day. Like how did you explain to him that it wasn't able to happen? I- Honestly, I, I, I couldn't. Um, it was a matter of experience day on day. So, you know, for the first week, he thought, great, I'm on my holidays and I can do what I want. And um, you could see slowly but surely the realisation was setting in that hmm, something's missing here. And the way it came across in him, his behaviour beca- began to deteriorate. He became quite upset, quite aggressive. He, he, he thrives on routine that much that when you take it away from him, I suppose for Connor, he doesn't know Monday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday. So he uses school to kind of settle him into, okay, this is Monday to Friday. And then he couldn't distinguish weekday from weekend. So it was very confusing for him, very difficult. It Working together, trying to do two jobs from home. uh, (laughs) Someone said to me during the lockdown, you know, I love my husband so much. By God, spending 24 hours a day around him, I'll put him through the bedroom window. Did that ever... Was that that a thing? Absolutely. We're still married by some miracle. But, um, yeah, I mean, the tension between the both of us was just unbelievable. Um, There was lots of arguments. Uh, We were sharing a bedroom, basically, to do our work in. So we had an office set up in the bedroom and... Owen is my husband. He would take it the morning shift, as we call it. He'd work and I'd find the kids. And then we'd have to swap over at one o'clock. And the amount of arguments at one o'clock, he'd have me knocking at the doors to say, get out, you know, it's my turn. And he didn't want to get out. And yeah, I think um, everybody experienced that, though. Um, it definitely was the best and the worst. In yeah, we had it in the kitchen, myself and the Queen Bee. I went one end of the kitchen and she's in the other. Can I do the rest of my day at home? And yeah, there was a few saucepans. Could have easily found the back of my head very quickly if I didn't stop. But how was it done then, Trish? Obviously, with social distancing and all of that, you can't necessarily have camera crews in around the house. No, no, it wasn't like keeping up with Kardashians or anything to that effect, I can tell you. But um, it was um, it was good fun because what they did was they actually um, posted down what's called a GoPro. It's a very teeny tiny little camera, a very durable camera, especially right. to survive my house. Mm. And my job was to document. So basically, I just picked kind of 
I suppose, important points of the lockdown, for example, when the, you remember the day the playgrounds opened up again. So we documented the kids and how they reacted. And I did kind of like a little video journal as well of the different, like not every single day, but maybe once a week, how things were going, how I was feeling. And um, it was nice, you know, lockdown was such a kind of a negative, everybody was feeling it. And it was nice to have something different to focus on. And it was great fun running around trying to capture the kids up to God knows what, you know. So mm. there was an element of fun to it and it, it gave a different focus as opposed to COVID and lockdown negativity. Yeah, was were there times when you got upset though? There was, yeah, definitely. I mean, at one point things were kind of coming to a head. I mean, Connor was definitely at a low point in terms of his behaviours. Um, my daughter was quite sick. She was in hospital um, and my mother-in-law who was living with us as well was was quite ill. And I just felt like everything was just getting up on top of me. And there were days where, to be honest with you, I just wanted to take the camera and throw it and stop and not bother and just give up on everything. You know, mm. there were those days. And isn't that when they tell you that's the time to film? They do. And that's when it can be hard. It's kind of hard to remember in those moments to go pick up the camera and say, OK, I better document this. You know, yeah. and there were days where I certainly didn't. But um then other times I thought, you know what, there's a kind of a therapy to it as well, yeah. talking to the camera and getting how, it off your chest. How were you selected? Pardon me? How were you selected? How were you chosen? So we were actually, we worked with the production company, they're called Midas. Um, we did a documentary last year um, with the Glide Dogs. We documented getting our assistance dog, Quelda. Okay. So for that reason, I've always kind of followed them. I enjoy a lot of their programs. And I saw a call um, for people to take part in this and throughout the doom and gloom I said you know what why not it'll be a bit of fun let's get involved so that's how it happened Alright well we'll see the, the finished product uh, tomorrow night Wednesday the 18th at half nine on TG Cahar and we look forward to watching it Sale Free Gloss it's called Thanks PJ Trish thank you uh, 1850 715 just one of a number of families the O'Neills from Dunamore took part in Sale Free Gloss. It actually saw the trailer this morning played you the tip of it there. It, it, it looks like a really interesting piece of work. It's Christmas time. Woo! Hear your favourite Christmas hit 24-7. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. Download our app or see 96fm.ie this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Little bit of a discussion starting on Twitter. I think it's in response to what there is in the news this morning about Debenham's latest twists in the Debenhams story McBarry's on the news but there's, there's people saying you know would you shop online at Debenhams now and having that little bit of a discussion someone else was suggesting that anyone who takes a Debenhams package and puts it into the back of a van to deliver it is breaking a picket now I don't know where you stand on that one but anyone bringing a package out in the back of a van to any house in Cork is just doing their job and feeding their family and to, that's 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 how I'd come on that. But would you actually buy something online from Debenhams in the wake of the whole Debenhams story? They're 222 days on strike now, the uh, the former Debenhams workers who were told on Holy Thursday that their jobs were gone. They're still out there, 222 days in. And, and might I remind you that Holy Thursday was in April and that there are now only... 
40, 38 days, in fact, to Christmas. So 222 days. They'd be 260 days there for Christmas Day if it should come about. But that little discussion has started on social media whether or not you would buy something online from Debenhams. Something we might touch upon if there's interest there. 1850-715-996. There's a motion coming up in the Doyle brought in by Sinn Féin to protect communities from quad bikes and scramblers being used in a dangerous and a reckless manner. This happened on the north side of the city over the last couple of years. And when you were a councillor, Deputy Thomas Gould, you brought it up in the council chamber. Uh, I don't know if you ever succeeded there, but what are you trying to do within the Doyle now? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, PJ, what we're looking to do, um, TDs, uh, Paul Donnelly and Desi Ellis have brought forward legislation. We tried to do it in the last government. Uh, Hopefully we're going to get it through this time. Uh, a number of other parties, inc- inc- and including, we hope, Fianna Fáil are going to support us uh, to bring in this legislation. Like, you, you've had people on to your show over the years, PJ, who have been talking about the, the terrible, uh, I suppose, conditions they're living in with scramblers and quads going all hours of the day and night. People can't use parks or greenways because of uh, these these people who are driving on the paths and the Gardaí don't have the, I suppose, they don't have the the support of legislation to to take the bikes and even arrest the people involved. So what this legislation will do, it will give Gardaí the powers they need that they don't have at the moment um, to tackle the quad. But like, I like quads and scramblers are great in a proper environment. But like we have people in parks in the north side and probably right across the city where like, you, you'd have parents out with their children or buggies or elderly people go for walks and they're just it's 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 mm. terrifying. So what would this legislation do? This would allow the Garvey to come in and to apprehend the people who are involved who are, who are uh, driving these and to take the bikes from them. Mm. But can't the moment, can't Garvey under existing legislation, Thomas, if if a vehicle of any kind, call it a quad bike now it being used inappropriately, like scooting around a green up in Farinree or driving up and down a soccer pitch in in, in Ballyfehan. Don't the guards have existing powers to intervene there anyway? No, they actually don't, PJ. That, that's the whole thing about You're it. You're saying no. I can take it, a, a quad bike and, and hoof it around Turner's Cross Football Stadium and the guards can't say a word to me? You see, because you're on, the, on uh, a green space or you're on private land. You see, if, if you drive it on the roads the Gardaí can, can take action. But if you're on the private land, which is an off-road vehicle, right. what, what the Gardaí... The Gardaí no, to be fair to the Gardaí, they come out and they would give out yeah, and um And in some cases, they're taken away, but you just drive off to the Gardaí station, they have to give it back to you. Most of the time, they just tell them to stop because they know, the Gardaí know that's all they're legally able to do. Right. So, what so your legislation is, would allow them to seize the device? Yes. Right. And it would also be a deterrent then, PJ. To, if you know you're, the, the Gardaí are going to take your bike, you're not going to go over to somewhere like uh, the Fairfield or Kilmore Park or somewhere like, there, or like that because you know the Gardaí will take it. And the thing about it, PJ, six people have died in the last five years. There's, there's, there's been over 60 people injured 
uh, during the same period by the quad bikes. They're actually very dangerous. And what we see is um, some people buy them for Christmas as presents for young people. And like, they're actually, without the proper training, these are dangerous. Quad bikes and scramblers are actually very dangerous if you don't have the right training and if you're not doing it in the right uh, environment. So what, we're, what I'm asking people as well who are listening to your show is, you know, if you're buying something like this, it's something like Vermont, Vermont where they should be going to practice yeah. and not in parks. Is there and any the legislation thing, governing who can drive these things? You see, when you're dealing with off-road vehicles, it's completely different to driving a car or a bike on the road. And that's something we want to do under this legislation, that the license, that you'd have to get a license to drive them as well. So it's not anyone just... At the moment, anyone can, can just get one of those... There's not an age limit, like it. Yes. Because, actually, PJ, sometimes you see boys 10, 11, 12 years of age driving driving these. Now, like, if if you see in in the areas where you can do it, you know, in the the actual places that are built for this, and they have someone trained and they're licensed, that's Mm. fine. But really, this is is to protect the communities, but also to protect the young people involved. And to give the Gardaí more power. And PJ, the whole thing, what we're saying is, hopefully Fianna Fáil, now the independents and the small parties will support us. Now, this, this bill itself... Have you been canvassing them for support? Well, they've actually come up with their own bill as well. So what we're, what we're trying to do now is where we can work together, PJ, because <laughs> sometimes people might say that we're not trying to be constructive. We have a load of legislation that we're going to be bringing forward okay. over the next few months that we're hoping to get other parties, okay. Fianna Fáil, the Greens, and we're, we're looking for compromises where we can actually make a difference okay. to people. Your statement here says, Gardaí must be trained to apprehend those on quads and scramblers safely, and they must have yes. the resources to do so. What's that mean? The, the problem with that, PJ, is where they try to avoid the Gardaí. And you know, like we've had issues there with Gardaí chasing people in, in joyriding our stolen cows. The, the same issue happens here. Like, if a guy arrives at a park or a field and these fellas are flying around the field, like, you, 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 a guy can't be chasing them in his bike and he can't be running after them, you know? So, the guy will have to have, like, even the guy on the motorbike wouldn't be suitable to be chasing these, these in fields, you know? So, we're, we're giving the guy the resources. Could the guy the quad bikes, maybe? Yeah, well, Fight fire with fire? It, if you need to do a PJ, that's what we're going to have to do. Be interesting. Be an interesting. I can see that YouTube fitting up with those videos. But no, I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not messing. There. I understand where you're coming from. Like, for example, did you see the video going around Dublin there last week of the the guard trying to get this fella down off the scooter around the Lewis? Is that something what you're getting at? He had no powers really to apprehend him other than ask him to stop. And that's that's the problem here, PJ. And this bill would give the Gardaí the power they need because I spoke in the girls who were really frustrated who went out, uh, people are ringing them, they're getting loads of phone calls and the, the problem for the girls is sometimes they feel like they're helpless. Okay. What this will do is give the girls the power they need and it's something that they actually want so okay. we're working with the girls to, to support them. Comes up today, when might it be voted on? Well, there'll be, the votes are Wednesday night at half past nine 
So we're hoping that it will be taken this Wednesday night. Okay, that's the private members' bill from Sinn Féin, which they're hoping they get support for tomorrow night on Scramblers. Thanks, uh, Thomas Thomas Gould, Cork North Central TD. They're hoping to regulate the use of quad bikes and scramblers for safety and give the Gardaí the power to intervene if a quad bike is being used inappropriately in a public place, which at the moment they don't actually have those powers. Thought they had. You would think they had, wouldn't you? But they don't. 1850-715-996. Mick says they should bring some, build something like Vernon Mount again to give them a chance to do it in a controlled environment. If the good riders go to a place like that, the others would look up to them and they'd all use it, which is kind of the argument they were making a few years ago when people were horrified at the prospect of skate parks. Remember when they went to put the skate park into Carrigaline? A few of the noses were upturned in the area, horrified at the prospect of skateboards and scooters and runners. My God, old boys, you look at it now. Everybody loves it. So maybe, Mick, you got a point. We used to buy online from Debenhams, says this message, but absolutely no way since they treated our workers like they did. The site should be blocked by the authorities here. Well, that's unlikely to happen because it's a commercially uh, legitimate website, but I can see where you're coming from. But uh, people discussing it on social media now, would you buy something from Debenhams for the Christmas or for the present? And a lot of people say, no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. But then again, other people think, well, they would, because they like the products. And there was a bit of a, a, a move going on. People were inclined to say, look, um, if if you're a courier driver, for example, you shouldn't take a, a Debenhams package in the, in the back of your van. That's that's pushing it. That's pushing it, because you've got a job to do and mouths to feed and children to clothe. So, look, you mightn't like driving the Debenhams package to somebody's house, but, but do it anyway, and don't be judging anybody who does that because it's their job. But a lot of people say, no, they wouldn't buy from from Debenhams online, which is a, a matter of personal choice. 1850-715-996. We talked about the Crown on Friday and with such a, a focus on the Crown over the weekend and a lot of people talking about it and watching season four. I haven't seen season four yet. I think we're going to start it next week. But something kind of went under the radar with all the buzz of the crown is something I must tell you is without a shadow of a doubt the most compelling seven hours television I've sat through in a very long time it grabs you by the throat and it reels you in and you are sitting there literally on the edge of your seat with it it's called the Queen's Gambit it's it's about a young girl who grew up in an orphanage it's fictional based on a book she grew up in an orphanage, and in the orphanage, the janitor, the cleaner, taught her to play chess. And she went on to be the best chess player in the world, starting from those kind of backgrounds. And it's a story of that, and it's a story of addiction, and a story of alcoholism and drugs, and it's just wonderful, wonderful television. They finished it in three sittings. They're already talking about a season two, but there's no second book. We'll see where that goes. But don't miss it. Put it on your list and watch it. The Queen's Gambit. 1850-715-996. All this week, Cork's 96FM gives you the chance to win with Jemison Distillery Middleton. We're giving away daily prizes of Jemison gift sets and the overall winner will get a Jemison Distillery gift card worth €250. Euro. Discover amazing Christmas gifts at jemisonwhiskey.com. Stay listening to win all this week from 4pm on Cork's 96FM. Feel like a winner.
Always drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. If the text machine was in the union to be gone on strike right now after being just overworked in the last two and a half minutes. Cork's 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Johnson and Parrott, Douglas Bishop's Town and Mountain Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. I give you everything that you want. To Dylan's Cross we go. Leanne. Hello, PJ. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Thank you so much. How are you? Good. Now, you have youngsters aged eight and nine. I have indeed. And I've won on the way, PJ. Oh, when are you due? <laughs> um, not till April of next year. Oh, that's all right. I thought you... <laughs> yeah, I've plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time to plan. Plenty to... Yeah. Congratulations on that, anyway. Oh. And, good, and good luck with everything. So the eight and nine-year-olds... So I think a 500 euro toy shopping spree would be a great boost to your family. Oh, my God. It would be... A, yeah, it would be ideal. And in foreign, our first, our first home... Our first forever home, first Christmas, sorry. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Well, all I can do, all I can do is try to get you into the draw. Yeah, Ray, Ray makes the Thank draw you. after six this evening. So I need you to finish the title of a song. Now, this, if you don't get this right, you probably shouldn't be let out on your own. Let Uh-oh. alone have three children. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yep. finish, finish the title of this popular Christmas song. Is it fairy tale of Chicago or fairy tale of New York? It would be New York. It would be New York. Yes, 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 it would. <laughs> All right. Leanne Corcoran, Morn Avenue, Dylan's Cross. You're, you're welcome. You're, uh, hello. You're in the draw. All right. Listen to Lorraine this evening on the big drive home. You're in the draw. And the Thank best you. of luck to you. Take care. Take Thank care. You, That's, cheers. Bye. Cheers. That's Leanne and Dylan's bye. Cross. We've all your details and we'll pass them on to Lorraine. She makes the draw this evening at the Corks 96 of M 10K toy giveaway with Johnson and Parrots. Loads and loads of 500 euro Smith's Toys Superstores shopping vouchers get and give out for free over the next couple of weeks. And remember, Smith's Toys Superstores still open for click and collect and for home delivery during the course of the Level 5 lockdown. 1850-715-996. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. This year, Cork County Council wants us all to celebrate a real Cork Christmas and discover the sparkle on our doorsteps. Businesses are invited to register for a free new online marketplace listing to help them reach their customers. So if you are a business and you want to get listed for free, visit yourcouncil.ie. Whether you using click and collect, phone and collect and online, you can list your business for free in the run-up to Christmas. All thanks to Cork County Council supporting businesses and our communities as we celebrate a real Cork Christmas. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. 
couple of comments we used to buy from Debenhams, but absolutely no way since they treated the workers like that. Bald Baldy Barber said, PJ, unfortunately, some people will buy online from anywhere if the price is right. At least, Baldy, Nick, you can't buy a haircut online. <laughs> On quad bikes, we had Mick's suggestion they build something like Vernon Mount. But Paul says, PJ, that would require the parents being responsible and putting tow hitches on a car and travelling to an area uh, to drive them, a proper area. Not just giving them the quads on Christmas morning and saying, off you go now, lads. It's not going to happen, says Paul. On vaccines, a concerned listener, at least that's how she describes herself or he describes himself. I hear a lot about frontline workers being first in the queue for vaccines. Well, that's what Dr. McLaughlin was saying, that uh, the first million or million and a half so vaccines that are ready to go in the country will probably be given to healthcare workers first because thousands of them have got COVID-19 and then to the most vulnerable. Uh, moving down, eventually we'll get to all of us once there's a safe and tested vaccine in the system to use. But generally, they'll be going to prioritise first to prioritise groups like frontline workers. I hope that home helps, says this message. I hope that home helps and home carers are in that category because at the start of the pandemic, we were excluded even from testing. 1850-715-996. On debitums, lots of different stuff coming in. And John says... PJ, people from Ireland work in Debenhams distribution centres and their online sites in the UK and some of them are actually from Cork. They have families and mortgages to pay. So would the people in Ireland like to see them out of work too? And you know what, John? That's an absolutely 100% valid point. You know, if you do things like give out about people, courier vans carrying Debenhams packages around the place and you know, boycotting centres. Look, that's entirely up to yourself. That's that's entirely your own decision whether or not you buy online from the Debenham store or whatever. Um, but but people work in the distribution centres and some of them would be from Cork. That's true, John, and thank you for that point. 1850-715-996. There's a new organisation, Recruit Refugees, specifically aimed at helping those who come here to seek a better life, to find work. And it's aiming to link up refugees and asylum seekers with businesses to help them to find work. And the woman behind it, we've talked to her many times on the show, is Rose Dumal. Rose, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Rose, you and others have said to me over the years, as we covered this direct provision story in particular, that there is an untapped vein of talent and skill in our direct provision centres that we need mm-hmm. to find a way to, to use it to our benefit and to their benefit. Absolutely, yes. There are, um, we, we have set up this uh, organisation, Recruit Refugees Ireland, now a few months and we ask people to, when they register, to uh, fill out a little survey so we get an idea of what's there as well. And, um, you know, we have 70% of the people that have signed up have of a third level education so we have engineers there um, we have people in finance accountants I mean it's it's pretty amazing what kind of potential 
if they, you know, and also people who work in construction, of course, which is, these are all skills that Ireland needs at the moment. Yeah. I spoke to and, last this time last year with Iz from mm-hmm. Iz Cafe. He was in direct provision. And look at the, look at the. That's right. And his, yeah. I think his wife was. Look, look at the difference they've made to, to Cork. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's always nice to have people from somewhere else in the world to, to get involved in your business because they, they come with a different angle sometimes. And, you know, diversity is a good thing for companies and, and that has been proven time after yeah. time again. What, so, inspire, uh, what inspires you, uh, Rose, to set up Recruit Refugees? Well, you know, as you know, I've been uh, going in and out of the direct provision centres for many years now, uh, since 2014, and I have helped people before once the uh, the right to work came in for not everyone, but those who could work. Um, and, and I found that many people um, either couldn't find work or couldn't find the work that they're qualified for. We have no numbers. on. I, I know that there are about 60% of people now with the right to work who are working, but uh, we don't have numbers of are they working in the, you know, what they are qualified for in that field. And yeah. I doubt it. I doubt it, you know. And I constantly see that people are looking for work, for example, in healthcare. And some of these people are accountants. Some of these people, I was recently talking to someone um, who had a financial management, you know, a, a, a master's degree. And um, why can't they work in, in their field? You That's know, a that very is, good question, Rose. Why can't yeah. they? I mean, if they're here legitimately and their papers are filed and, and they're in, entitled to stay here, and those are the people we're talking mm-hmm. about, once yeah. their papers are filed, they're entitled to stay here. Why can't someone with high-level financial qualifications, for example, get a job here? I think it's there are a few things. Well, it's also the the asylum seekers. If they don't, even if they don't have their papers yet, you know, once they're here for nine months without the first decision on their case, they can work, right. and they can do any work. Can they okay? work full time? They can work full time, okay. and they can work everywhere apart from where they need to be Irish. Uh, so they can't become guardie or something like that. But for the rest of that, uh, they can do anything now, and. Um, so I think, first of all, there is a bit of ignorance amongst the employers. They were not informed about this um, permission to work, so they have no idea what it's about and how it works. Um, there might be a little bit of uh, a hold back, maybe a bit of prejudice as well on uh, people from a different color or uh, a different background. Um, so there, there's loads of things there that I think we need to tackle and we need to go and advocate and, and, and show people as well. People have no idea of the potential that's there, you see. So one how of the we, things How do we, we tackle that? Well, one of the things we've decided to do is rather than advertise jobs, is advertise um, the candidates. So we're making like promotions for the candidates. We now have one with financial management. Um, we have an Arabic translator. Uh, so we are posting that in our talent pool on our website. So uh, employers can come and visit and see, oh my God, is this what is there, you know? Um, but also I think uh, every company needs some kind of diversity training, you know, some um, because you can't, blame them necessarily you know you people are have certain habits and they don't want to go and and change those but it might be good for every company to change their habits and to hire a bit more of a diverse workforce you know just imagine an uh, engineers for example who come with a bit of a different angle it might do so much good um 
you know, for for most businesses, and it's been proven as well that a diverse workforce leads to more um, productivity. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's all it's a win-win situation for everyone, really. Yeah. For the yeah. how, how do we benefit, Rose, from a more diverse workforce? Well, I think first of all, as I said, the. Um, the, the benefits are that you have people with a different viewpoint sometimes, which can uh, contribute a bit more to what you want to do with your company. The, we have the enormous language skills as well. There are so many um, companies now looking for people with language skills. Well, we have them all there, you know. Um, and, and also it makes the uh, employees feel happier and better to have a, a new another workforce they can have discussions about what goes on in different countries so it links people together and i think you can see that in apple places like apple places like facebook you know where they have a diverse for workforce people are going to work there it it, it is just much a, a nicer environment you talk about unconscious mm-hmm. bias outline yeah. roles in simple it's a term that pops up more and more and more yeah yeah. Would you explain it for me, please, in simple okay, so, What is unconscious bias? Uh, very simply said, it's uh, we all think that we're not racist, okay? But if you if you then think really hard, there are moments where, for example, if if um, at um, an interview for a job or something, if there's a black person and a white person and they have the same qualities and the same advantages, um, unconscious bias will mean that the white person will be chosen. Okay, now this is very simple, but it goes very deep. You know, I've I've discovered it with myself when I when I used to work in in prison in Belgium uh, as a nurse, and uh, I saw racism there, and I also realized how much prejudice there was in my own mind. Right. You know, and we we all have that. We all have prejudices. We grew up with it, and it's about recognizing that and doing something about it and keeping on checking yourself. For unconscious shouldn't the per- shouldn't the basis of someone is hired is can they do the job with the appropriate skill set? Well, of course they can. Um, one no, no, one, I think shouldn't that just be the only decider? Um, it should be, of course, it should be, but it isn't. Unfortunately, you know, um, there are preferences, and, and there's so many things that play a role in the recruitment process that we are not even conscious of sometimes, you know, and so that's why we want to change it. We want to show that it's just as good to hire someone from Nigeria than it is to hire someone from from Ireland if they have the same skills, you know. Yeah. Or um, Well, I suppose the one thing that will come up, and I can hear people asking this question, Rose, and, and mm-hmm. I, I ask it because somebody is saying, PJ, ask her this. So yeah. you've got, we'd say, two engineers going mm-hmm. going for the one job. Okay, mm. and 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 should we not uh, employ the Irish guy first if there's a shortage of jobs? If they both have the right to stay in Ireland, to be honest, I don't see the difference. Okay, mm. um, if they're both uh, resident in Ireland and they can both work in Ireland, it the the job should go to the better one. Um, then also, um, what we 
hope to do is get an agreement with, um, because of course that's the problem at the moment. People who have been in direct provision, for example, for four years and haven't worked for four years, yeah. they're not going to get the advantage. Okay, their skills are going a bit stiff. So what we want to do is talk to employers and ask them to um, to work with us. Yeah. And maybe through apprenticeships and stuff like that to get these people back into the workforce and then they have as much chance as the Irish people. Is, is your movement nationwide or just Cork? Like how many um, have you got signed up so far? Well, um, it's going quite fast. We now have around 160. Uh, we've only just started. Um, we are We are starting in Cork. But we will expand to the rest of the country as well uh, once the, the, the funding comes in. <laughs> and that we will also, you know, it's a social enterprise. It's not a charity. So we will charge for um, for recruitment, okay, right. so, that, so that we become self-sufficient after a few years. Oh, so someone, um, someone that you find a job for, that you'll, you'll, you'll be charging them for that service? No, 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 we charge the company. That's like most recruitment companies do. Um, so you charge something like 10, 15, 20% of the, the yearly salary. That's something that we'll negotiate. Um, so that we can then reinvest into training because training is going to be part of it. But we don't only just do recruitment. We, we look at the people coming in and see are they job ready. If they're not, what do they need? And we will work together with other organizations, training institutions to get the people at a job ready level. And then we will um, advertise them and, okay. and help them to find work. But the company, the company who's hiring them, and that's a normal thing, they will pay us uh, once they are recruited. Gotcha. Where can people go to find out more, Rose? Okay, so our website is www.recruitrefugeesireland.com. Okay. Uh, and we have a Facebook page as well at the same name. Right. And could I just mention one, one more thing? Because of... Um, Many people do need retraining. We work together with a few organizations like professional accountancy training in Cork. And, but people now, everything is online. So many people in direct provision don't have a laptop. And we are currently doing a fundraiser to buy laptops for okay. people all over Ireland together with other organizations. And that's also, you can also find that on our website. Okay. It's called Windows for Opportunity. Okay. All right. RecruitRefugeesIreland.com. Rose, good luck with it. It's a great idea. People have talked for many years. Thank you, Rose, about the untapped potential of skill sets that are within the direct provision system. And here's an opportunity to not just help find them work, but help us all benefit from them finding work in Ireland. 1850-715-996. Something nice to finish. This has been put together by a bunch of community healthcare workers in Cork and Kerry. And it's just to, I suppose, remind us to to keep our guard up against this old COVID thing that's driving us all mad. This is nice. Think of what we've managed to do already by working together. Think of all of the lives saved, the months and years of living we have given people. That's time with their families, time with their friends that would have been lost. I think of all the people that will still be with us this Christmas. We did that. And we did it together because it only works if we all do it. We need to keep our guard up. It's not easy, but if we drop our guard, we can get the virus ourselves and we could even spread it to others. I really miss being able to give my mum a hug. I really miss seeing my nan and granddad. I'm sick of having meetings on Zoom and Skype. I want to see people face to face, but I need to keep my guard up. Keeping my guard up 
means I'm keeping the people I work with and my patients safe. Look, this is really hard for everyone, but keeping my guard up means I'm still here to support my community. Help us keep your guard up and hold firm. Our communities need us to play our part. 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 And that finishes by saying thank you for keeping us all safe. To all the people of Cork and Kerry, a message... Hold on, go back a second. A message from the uh, public health workers in Cork and Kerry. And there's a whole list of them there. Uh, Guards and nurses and all that made up that little video. Nice, just what we played uh, to you because that's what we've been told up. Told to just keep our guard up. You know, keep the pressure on and we'll get through this. And I've been saying it since day one. We will. This will be over. When? We do not know, but it will. So... As we've been saying for the last while on the show, we're kind of making it a catchphrase. Hands, face and space. Wash your hands, cover your face, and give other people space. That's it. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. we see you tomorrow just after nine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.